It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Okay, Thursday edition of the uh, Patrick Johnson Show. It's nice to have you along. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome in. Welcome in. Uh, we've got... Good friend of mine uh, on with us today, uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, who will be in Greenville for the Little League World Series. They were doing the uh, media uh, stuff today with the uh, Little League Softball World Series. So uh, she'll be in Greenville this weekend. We'll be here through uh, much of next week calling the action on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and the championship game will be on uh, ABC. We uh, welcome you in and. We've got a lot of things to uh, get to here today, including some college realignment news, our pirate report, uh, many, many things. Let me give you a little bit of a rundown uh what the next uh, 24 hours will look like. Uh, we have uh, tomorrow I'm going to be hosting talk at the town. Henry Hinton is taking a uh, vacation day, so I'm going to be uh, in for him tomorrow. And we'll be in the studios for that uh, tomorrow morning. That's the plan. And then uh, at 10 o'clock tomorrow, if you're with us on our Twitter space and our Facebook space, we're and, I, and Clark Clark Willis, the producer of this uh, fine program today, ladies and gentlemen. Clark, are we on? Are we on uh, YouTube Live also? Or? Yes, we are. We're on. Uh, well, obviously Facebook, Twitter, and um, what am I missing? YouTube. That's right. YouTube. Yes. The one I know. Okay. Yes. We're not on uh, Rumble. No. Because I guess we're not political. Yeah. No, no, we get a. Not yet. <laughs> we're not on with the true believers. Doesn't that happen in on the Rumble. season? <laughs> I there'll probably be a Rumble at some point, but I I think I think talk of the towns on Rumble. Anyway, so yes. tomorrow uh, streaming on all of our normal platforms at 10 a.m will be the Patrick Johnson Show. We're going to have it taped on radio uh, tomorrow at 5 o'clock, but it will have some fresh content because that's how we roll. Uh, Scotty Rogers, Scooter will be with us. Uh, of course, the uh, ECU baseball play-by-play man, and he will uh, – Scooter recently graduated, by the way. Finished his degree. He walked in the spring. No, no, college. And uh, we're going to – high school, listen to you. And then we're he going to get uh, – he does look young, yes. Some people say he looks like me, Clark. Do you believe that? Yes. Hey, I, yes. Look, no. I, I'll tell you why he doesn't look. He wishes he was this this damn handsome. <laughs> he ain't this good looking. No, right. I would never. I'll give you that. He's not that good looking. I'll give you that. I mean, I'm I'm a handsome man. I don't I don't mind telling you. That's right. I'm a good looking son of a gun. Yes. I blush every time but you come on. I know you do. Scooter is. Uh, Going to be with us tomorrow. Scooter's kind of the media liaison for the local media for the uh, Little League Softball World Series. So he'll run through everything with that tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, we'll also talk to Steve and I go from uh, Hoist the Colors, 247 Sports. 
on the Hoist the Colors radio show here on uh, 94.3 The Game. He'll give us uh, an update live tomorrow during the 10 o'clock hour from the practice field uh, for ECU football. Uh, that'll be coming your way tomorrow. So that's what we're doing for the next uh, 24 hours. Uh, if you watch us on video, um, and uh, more and more people are, you will see us uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. with a live uh, program going. If you uh, listen here every day during the five-hour, we'll be back then. But, again, it will be a fresh content show as well. Uh, we're planning to hold my beer tomorrow. Uh, Philip the Ref Pilkington will be in on the show tomorrow. And I think Michael Busimi. I cracked the door for Clark, and he kicked it open. I, I didn't know if he was, but he kicked it open. So I would think with Hold My Beer, which is a what grinds your gear segment, Busimi would be tailor-made for that because he's got a gripe about most everything. So uh, that'll be uh, all tomorrow on the Friday, get you to the weekend edition of the uh, Patrick Johnson Show. We have a huge announcement. I think it's going to come Monday of a return to radio, and it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, we'll be debuting a new show soon, uh, and uh, it, will air, it will air here on uh, 94.3 The Game, but also will air on some of our other IBX Media stations and the IBX Media app. So uh, details on that Monday, I don't know the exact details of how we're announcing it Monday in the morning, but I know it's going to be in the morning on Talk of the Town, so that'll be happening, uh, that'll be happening there. All right, so uh, we are uh, in... Uh, the time of year where college football camps have opened, so hope springs eternal. There's a lot of speculation, and a lot of these teams will do this if, these teams will do that uh, if they do this. All of that is kind of running around uh, out there right now. So uh, it's also the time of year where there's a lot of jockeying going on. Uh, Dan Wolken had an uh an article in USA Today, a lot of jockeying going on for what may happen or may not happen with uh, college realignment. And uh, he, he wrote a column uh, lamenting it today. Uh, there's a Board of Regents meeting tonight in Arizona, at the University of Arizona. And uh, the thinking in that is that Arizona is going to follow Colorado in leaving the Pac-12 and go to the Big 12. And that would really be a boon for the Big 12. I mean, Arizona has not been great in recent years, but there is some tradition there in football and obviously basketball. You're only adding another quality top 10 caliber program to uh, an already strong basketball conference in the Big 12. Uh, Good chance that uh, Arizona State – uh, and uh, Utah will be following suit shortly thereafter. And so the Big 12, even though it's got all these desires to uh, have places like Memphis and SMU join, the Big 12 seems to be raiding and picking uh, the uh, ever-decaying uh, carcass of the Pac-12 more and more. So the Big 10, according to Wolken, stands to add Oregon and Washington – and uh, maybe even Stanford and Cal. There's always There was talk of this that Stanford and Cal would not be leaving the Pac-12, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So that leaves Oregon State and Washington State 
uh, out in the cold, as it were. Uh, we told you about Florida State yesterday, basically saying that their $40 million a year payout in their media rights is not enough to compete in the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, not clear as of yet where Florida State would go or who would want them. And, look, we've talked about it on here. We've, we've had different guests the last two summers on to talk about this. The grant of rights agreement that the ACC has is so strong that every team is locked into the ACC until 2030. I mean, basically, you'd have to pay a billion dollars if you're a departing school because you have to pay the exit fee, and then you have to surrender all of the money you would earn for your home games. In other words, the money you get from the conference TV deal, you'd have to submit that back to the ACC. And if you're talking a place that has a $100 million a year deal, the Big Ten, or even if it's $80 million with the SEC, what's $20 million among friends? Still, that's that's pretty close over 13 years to, or 12 years, whatever it would end up being if Florida State were to depart. To depart. That's a billion dollars with the exit fee factored in as well. So there's a lot of uh, hurdles to leaving the ACC, but Florida State was pretty defiant yesterday that they wanted out and they feel like that uh, with the ACC saying they're not going to make any kind of adjustment to that $40 million a year payout for media rights, uh, they're saying it's just not enough for Florida State to compete with teams in the SEC and, and the Big Ten. So... Uh, they were very public yesterday. They won out Seminoles, and, uh, you know, could that be a destabilizer in the ACC, leaving it to get ransacked the way the Pac-12 has? I don't think so. But we are headed towards what I, I spoke to a group at Kinson about this years ago uh, at, at a luncheon, and we're headed to the 20-plus team power league. And the Pac-12, which years ago you wouldn't think that a, a conference that's had members since the 1960s would be about to go extinct, but it is. So we'll see. It'd be interesting to keep an eye on this Arizona thing and then how quickly Arizona State and Utah uh, follow. And they were always, you know, from the true Pac-12, uh, they were always the inland if you will, uh, outliers as far as that goes. Pretty interesting and uh, really uh, just, just kind of hard to wrap your mind around that that's where we're headed uh, as far as college uh, football and uh, college athletics goes. And it is all football moves are the reason this is being done. Yeah, basketball will have a little bit to do with it. I mean, it's going to be still a pretty stout Big 12, which is already the best hoops conference. It's going to be pretty stout with getting Arizona involved, Utah's, competitive. Arizona State has been a bubble team in the Pac-12. Uh, so, I mean, you're adding some, some really good basketball to a league that uh, has some really good basketball. And uh, it will be uh, it'll be interesting. Somebody's got to finish last in all this. Somebody's got to be the team in the basement, and uh, nobody's really thinking about that as they head into things uh, with, uh, with conference realignment and shaking things up. Uh, you know, I think Utah, Colorado, and, and even uh, the two Arizona schools, probably a little better of a footprint for the Big 12 in, in some respects. So uh, the times they are changing. And, and by the way, still no TV deal. 
for the uh, Pac-12, and uh, they may not have one. And you might be saying, okay, why are these teams leaving? Well, they're leaving because the Pac-12, uh, their, their media deals expired. So there's no grant of rights, there's no hurdles for these teams to be leaving after this season. And so you're looking at a, a Pac-12 that would get down to six teams before the Big Ten may raid them, and I guess there's some expansion talk going on at some meetings with the Big Ten higher-ups today as well. So interesting times. Uh, we'll take a break. Before we do, uh, again, we're going to be uh, on tomorrow at 10 a.m. on our uh, video streaming platforms for the Patrick Johnson Show, and uh, we'll be on the radio here at 5 o'clock later in the day. So if you listen to us, that's uh, when you can do that. If you just can't wait till 5 and you're trying to get out of doing some work at your uh, office, uh, we will be on Facebook at uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, and then uh, you can obviously catch the replay uh, during the day once the show posts. If you want to watch us during your lunch, let's hope it doesn't cause you to get ill. All right, a timeout, and we'll come back with a pirate report. Also, Jenny Dalton-Hill will be with us uh, here on the program today. Looking forward to catching up with her. She'll... Uh, I mean, when you talk about great softball players in the history of college softball, Jenny is probably like the the Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds or, or whoever. She's one of the best. I mean, absolutely one of the best. Monster numbers in her career. So we'll return with uh, Jenny Dalton Hill. Looking forward to having her on. Uh, that'll be after our Pirate Report. Pirate Report next here on the Patrick Johnson Show. We are. We are. We are. Riding shotgun with you on the drive home. It's showtime. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Wind of Championships are uh, going on in uh, Greensboro as we speak. And uh, Adam Scott, who was on the outside looking in of the top 50, who will make the playoffs on the uh, FedEx Cup next week, uh, an opening round 65 for a good score of five under, and he is now in a uh, four-way tie. Uh, Russell Henley is among those also, uh, Triangle native, went to University of Georgia. Brian Mull talked about him yesterday. They're in a... Uh, Four-way tire, Scott and Henley with uh, Novak and Svensson at five under. Novak, Svensson, and Henley are uh, out on the course right now. Uh, Raleigh's Webb Simpson is four under through 15. Now, he'll be called Raleigh's Webb Simpson by the Raleigh sports media, the Triangle sports media, because he's doing well. So Raleigh claims him when he does well. When... He does poorly. They say he's from Charlotte, Charlotte's Simpson, because that's where he lives. And if he's just meh, you know, kind of unspectacular, maybe even, they'll say Wake Forest, because he went to University of Wake Forest, Wake Forest University. They'll say Wake Forest's Webb Simpson, because Wake Forest is kind of pedestrian and vanilla. And, you know, if you shoot even at some of these courses, it's kind of a meh day. So uh, Webb Simpson currently is shot back. Uh, of the leaders, and actually Henley's taking the lead now. Uh, he's seven under, so uh, that was pretty impressive. All right, so some local guys, as you would expect, playing well uh, at uh, Greensboro, the old GGO. Let's uh, do our pirate report. Hit it. 
And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. So, uh, ECU Women's Basketball releasing the non-con schedule today. Uh, they will open up the season on November 6th, which is a Monday, uh, at Elon. And uh, that will be the Pirates' opener. Their home opener will be uh, days later on Thursday against USC Upstate in Greenville. They'll take a trip to VCU the following Tuesday. Uh, then they'll head for the Bahamar Pink Flamingo Championship where they'll play Ohio State and Seton Hall in the Bahamas. Uh, that'll actually air on Flow Hoop, so good luck with that. Uh, their annual education day will come on the day before Thanksgiving, November 29th. Hampton, that'll be an 11 a.m. game. And uh, then in the month of December, the Pirates will be at home the entire time in their non-conference schedule. Uh, Coppin State will be the opponent on December 2nd. That's a Saturday. And uh, on Monday the 4th, University of Maryland Eastern Shore will be in Greenville. That is listed right now as a 5.30 tip-off. And then uh week before Christmas, George Mason on a Monday in Greenville, that Thursday before Christmas, the 21st, Charleston Southern, Christmas break, and then the big one, uh, December 30th, nationally ranked South Carolina will come in for a game that Saturday, December 30th, probably uh, not only nationally ranked, but could be number one when they come in uh, for women's basketball. So that was uh, announced today. You might be wondering where the men's schedule is. Well, because there's so much movement now in the transfer portal, it's kind of hard. People hold back on the non-conference schedule because they want to see what the opponents out there may or may not have. UNCW, uh, I was talking to somebody today uh, talking about the Sea Squawks, and they're going to be really good. They're going to, you know, Shaheem uh, Phillips from South Central, is there, and he's looking really good from what I understand. Uh, but uh, Shai Phillips and the Seahawks are going to be pretty good. They may be the preseason favorite to win the CAA because uh, they're veteran. They've brought in some guys in the portal. But right now, they got one home game, and it's against a Division II opponent. It's hard to get teams to add you to their schedule when they know you're going to be good, especially at that mid-major level. So that's part of the reason why the Pirates have not uh, announced their schedule in men's basketball, the non-conference schedule. Now, they could tomorrow. Uh, it might be doing it so as not to step on the uh, women's announcement today, but you generally have that come out a little later now than it used to because coaches want to wait and see what other teams are going to have ultimately with their roster. Uh, we talked about Rajay Harris yesterday on uh, Hoist the Colors uh, 247 Sports. Stephen Igo wrote about uh, that today, about the Pirates not being hesitant with Harris in his return from injury. Recently fully cleared from his ACL injury, took to the practice field yesterday when the Pirates opened camp. Uh, the unfamiliar knee brace, Stephen writes on his right leg, the first official practice course he uh Suffered that ACL tear in the game against USF down in Tampa. And uh, there was a social media feature feature uh, featuring, a feature featuring, hat on a hat. The uh, social media feature done by ECU's creative team 
and you got an insight into just how uh, affable and uh, and and happy and uh, energetic and uh, chipper. I think Stephen wrote uh, Harris is, and you know. It, it, it's been a long road back as these knee injuries are. It's nothing like it used to be. In fact, I was talking to our buddy Mike Mullis uh, a couple weeks ago, Mully, and uh, he, well, I don't want to put his business in the street. We were talking about an ACL injury to a young athlete, and, and you know, it's going to, these things do take a road back, but it's nothing like it used to be. If you got an ACL injury, it was a solid year, maybe more, before you were able to get back into the swing of things. So uh, the Pirates and Coach Houston, you know, says he'll listen to the training staff and he'll be backing off of Harris's workload if necessary, but they really want him, the guy who was the AAC Rookie of the Year in 2020, they really want him to be competent when he goes out there. And he's going to, you know, that's going to be the thing when you when that, that first hit, that first full day. Uh, let's play cut eight here. Clark, on our uh, comments from Coach Houston, I mean, he, he said we're not going to go easy, as it were, on Rajay Harris in camp. He's fully cleared. Uh, he has no restrictions. Uh, the athletic training staff, they'll, they'll work with him to see if there's, you know, if there's ever a day where we need to, you know, take a little bit off of him or whatever. But I told him that he, I'm not going to be hesitant with him during preseason camp. You know, he is an experienced back. Uh, by the time we make that trip September 2nd, you know, I want him fully confident and fully ready to go uh, so that he can be Rajay Harris. And the Pirates, of course, working out again today with uh, the helmets tomorrow is in shell, shells or shoulder pads, and they will eventually have the full workout gear uh, on Tuesday. So these will all be steps that are real important for Rajay Harris to take and, and steps that are real important as far as his mental state after the injury go and that improving, and Coach talked about that. And that's what he and I have talked about. And we, we've talked we've talked probably more about that. I mean, I think from the neck down, he's full go. I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's been eight months, you know, and the you know, first first day of contact, you know, I told him, I said, you, you're going to need to run somebody over and pop up, and you're going to need to juke somebody, and you're going to get tackled, and then pop up and go play the next play. But that's anybody that's had that injury. You know, they've got to go through that. But he, he will. He'll handle it just fine. He looked very, very good today. So the comments from Mike Houston yesterday, and uh, we will have uh, the latest from uh, Pirate Practice tomorrow. Steve and I go will join us uh, for the Patrick Johnson Show from Hoist the Colors. Uh, that will be tomorrow. Also, uh, we're going to have uh, our guys out there on Saturday. That'll be the next media availability, so uh, our guys will be uh, out there uh, covering that on uh, Saturday this weekend. Uh, Philip the Ref Pilkington, and I believe Clark I'll be there. will be out there as well. Ah, look at him. Look for Clark on social media. He posts everything. All right. Uh, no, no, no. This is not a – I'm not, a compl- I'm not complaining. This is, this is not a Buscemi moment. I'm not griping. I don't want to steal his thunder either. Confounded social media? As he would say, you know he's got uh, he's got Facebook, and he used to he used to kind of rant 
on oh, yeah. Facebook, uh, in the comment section of things, oh, not not just way. write these long rants. Do you, did you ever see some of those? Yeah, he showed me himself. Oh, oh he was proud of them. Yeah, he likes going oh, to Facebook okay. jail. Uh, Does he? Well, he wears it as a badge of honor. That's right. Kind of like I'm wearing this hideous shirt today. All right. We're proudly. We're going to uh, take a timeout, and when we uh, return, a great friend of mine, one of my favorite people, she's going to be here in Greenville next week, Jenny Dalton Hill, one of the great softball players in NCAA history, and a superb analyst for softball on ESPN and the ACC Network now. A great friend worked with Jenny a couple seasons ago on some ACC softball. She's great. So we'll hear from her. I think you'll enjoy that, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Little League Softball World Series in Greenville and more right after these words. The number one dry time sports show. The Patrick Johnson Show returns in minutes. 94.3 The Game. Download the new IBX Media app now and get the show for your ears and eyes. Doesn't it look great on me? This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. My good friend, Jenny Dalton Hill, joins us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Yet again, this time we are talking to her as she prepares to head to Greenville for the Little League Softball World Series. Jenny, how are you, my friend? Doing great. I think last time I talked to you was during Little League World Series last year, but I was already in Greenville. I don't travel till Saturday this week, and I will get there Sunday and start calling games right away. The event itself is, you've told me, a real fun event to do from your perspective because there's a lot of just, I mean, it's a very uplifting kind of event. It is. One of one of the things that we're supposed to do as analysts is inform and educate the viewer at home as to this, why things happen and how they happen and what goes into those plays. And that doesn't change when you do Little League World Series, but definitely the atmosphere at the Little League World Series is a lot more positive. We're not really harping on errors. They're 11, 12, 13 <laughs> years old. Right not something where we're trying to break it down and explain, you know, why the errors happened, but more than anything, it's just celebrating the success that these young women have and have had and as they work to get, you know, a Little League championship that will be crowned this year on ABC of all places. Ooh. So excited to have national television cover the finals of this Little League World Series this year. Yeah. Pretty cool, uh, and the event uh, has grown and grown, and, you know, it's great that now you have the international teams uh, that are able to participate. I think it was the first year they weren't because of COVID, and, you know, they've uh, they've been in for a few days. The other teams have moved into the dorms, so it's really a fun event. You're in the softball bubble, really, for You really, yeah, you really are. You're exactly right, and more than anything, this is the first time that these young girls have been bombarded with all of the things TV that goes into a preparation for a big event like this. Today they're going. Today and tomorrow is a thing called a car wash where they have you know, interviews and photo shoots and all kinds of just so many different things coming at them that are outside of the realm of softball but go into putting on a broadcast on TV. And so I think one of the things a coach has to do in this situation is make sure that they try to keep their team focused and not let the – lights get too bright or the atmosphere gets too big because when they start to get anxious and nervous, 
that's when they're not as not able to be as athletic and free flowing. And so it's really difficult to enter a space like this at the Little League World Series with all of the attention and all of the hype and stay true to that humility and hard work that they've really kind of had to rely on all season long. The great Jenny Dalton Hill, who's an ESPN uh, analyst for softball, calls a lot in the college season, and she's part of the Little League Softball World Series, uh, which will be originating from Greenville starting on Sunday. I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. All right. All right. But uh, do you find your, especially for something like this, do you kind of find yourself like fans do when you look in on something like this? And you kind of connect and you root for a team. Do you kind of find yourself getting caught up in a story maybe about a team for this event maybe more than you would, say, you know, the the softball World Series, uh, the NCAA level or, or something like that? I don't know. I think the, the job of an analyst is to bring the stories into your home. And when there's a, a play-by-play job is there to tell you, you know, who's up and what the count is and who's on base, but an analyst's job is to try to humanize the story. And so our, as we sit and read through these questionnaires that the girls fill out, some of them are really generic and don't give us a whole lot of inside information, but some of them are actually very vulnerable and tell us things like, you know, I'm playing this all-star season because my grandmother passed away and so I wear this number because this was her right. favorite number. They tell you some really personal things. And when an athlete opens up like that, I feel like it's our duty and our job to be able to tell that story in a way that the viewer at home is able to relate to and recognize and then silently cheer, you know, from maybe far away to be able to be invested in that story and watch the storylines play out as the tournament goes on. Yeah, and I I think those are the cases where people really jump on, uh, you know, rooting for somebody is – when, you know, it's conveyed, that story is conveyed. So that's that's interesting because if you're able to, to dig in that and present it. I just didn't know if there was ever a time you thought, boy, this is just such a cool story. I hope this team does well. <laughs> I mean, there's always those that sometimes emerge when you get there. Maybe it's right. a parent stands that's kind of crazy or it's a little brother in the, in the outfield that roots for his sister. I mean, whatever it is, they kind of emerge organically sometimes. Those stories, if you push them, they don't really come out real just genuinely. Right, I want to find right. a story is able to be told on TV that it it just exposes the innocence of what this tournament is all about and celebrates just the pure athleticism that they're bringing out there. You hear a lot of times girls in college say, "I just wish I could play like the eight year old that used to take the field." Yeah. Well, what we're watching is those. Now they're, they're not eight. They're 10, 11, 12, 13 years Close, old. yeah. But it's the joy of the game that sometimes gets lost when the game gets to be big. Yeah. Uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, she'll be calling uh, games with the uh, Little League Softball World Series, uh, ESPN Plus, ESPN, ABC, all that that's going on. Well, what is your schedule? I know last year I think you were on the early games. I am on the early games again this year. I'll be there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the morning of Thursday. Then Amanda Scarborough, Michelle Smith will take over with um, Courtney Lyle in mm-hmm. the booth, Chris Button as a sideline reporter for the rest of the tournament. So excited to see that. And 
we already said it, but it'll be on national television this year, not just regular ESPN, but all the way to prime time with ABC. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to ask you about the sport in just a bit, but what are your what's your perspective of Elm Street Park? You've been to a lot of yards, so uh, what is your when you go there? What do you what, what strikes you about it? Well, I love the atmosphere. They've done such a good job of keeping it a hometown feel with a big-time atmosphere. It's a great facility. The playing surface is top-notch. They put in so much work to make that facility just cream of the crop. Absolutely love the playing surface down there. And they have to deal with rain. You know, it's always going to rain if you're in North Carolina at some time. But, <laughs> right. but they do such a good job of getting the rain out off the field quickly so that the games can resume. I'm so impressed with the grounds crew that comes in and just makes this field look so pristine. But then they run this so well. I'm always impressed with the way that the Little League organization runs their tournaments and is just so professional about everything that they do. Uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, who when I got the occasion to work with her, it left such an imprint on my life. But uh, I got to work with her, and I didn't. I knew she was great, but I didn't realize how great. Jenny was like multiple time All American, the whole, all these accolades and, and all of that. And Jenny was so cool and welcoming to uh, an otherwise obnoxious broadcaster. So that's why I like that's why I like Jenny so much. Now, so uh, let me talk to you about your career. Okay. I mean, you're the Barry Bonds. All the good stuff about Barry Bonds. You're the Barry Bonds. You're the Babe Ruth of this thing in my mind. Well, the thing that's really neat for me doing Little League World Series is the fact that that's where my story began, too. I played in Little League growing up and was able to play in the Little League World Series in the senior league division when I was 15. I didn't have the path that a lot of young girls have now where they start travel ball at a young mm -hmm, age. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a lot of money as a family. And so Little League was where I was able to develop, and I had a lot of great competition to play against. That's where my story began. It ended playing for the Colorado Silver Bullets yeah. with manager Phil Necro, and it was in the baseball world where I ended. But in between those two points, I was able to play with Team USA, with softball. I played at the University of Arizona, won three national championships, able to be player of the year in 1996, and then move into the baseball world and play for a season with Phil Necro and the Silver Bullets, and then 13 years after that, actually went back and played for Team USA mm -hmm. Baseball, the women's national team in baseball. And they're actually competing again right now. I coach with them at times, but um, they are getting ready to head up to Canada for another international tournament. So I cheer them on as they get ready to head up there and do that. But I just, I, I'm so blessed to have been able to play this sport for so long and have so much success and then be able to wear now a broadcast hat and, and applaud all of the young women who are still able to play. So is it easy for you, being so great, to call games and not get frustrated at times? Little League World Series, yes, very easy. Right, <laughs> yeah, I know that. I'm just talking in general. <laughs> but, no, I will say, so I started with ESPN 10 years ago, and when I started with ESPN, I would come home really frustrated. <laughs> like, why are the – I would talk to my husband about, why are they asking you to applaud this girl that has 15 home runs on the season? He's like, Jenny, it's because she's really good. And I would sit back and think, these numbers are not, not they aren't comparable to the numbers that I have. Or the <laughs> right. Of the girls that I played with. And I thought, 
wait a minute, maybe I was better than I thought I was because if this is what the standard is now in certain places, right? Like there's always the, there's always the storyline like a Jocelyn Allo who hits a bazillion home runs and everybody loves her and she's like America's sweetheart, right? But those numbers are easy to have your jaw drop at because they were national record numbers. But not everybody has that. And so I have to take, I had to take a step back when I first started doing this because I played on a team that had the national home run leader, Mm -hmm. that had the RBI national lead, that had the best flappers with the best batting averages in the country, and they still have records. So my perspective was that that's what I should applaud. But in the whole scheme of things, those records that are still held today, you know, almost 30 years later, that's a standard that was what I thought was normal. But now you look at it like that's almost Superman-like numbers or Wonder Woman-like numbers to be able to put things up like that. So you're right. We need to applaud things that maybe are a little bit less than those national numbers because the competition level has gone up so much in the past five, seven, ten years. We're seeing tremendous athletes not able to put up those kinds of numbers because of the competition that they have to play against. Jenny Dalton Hill will be calling the uh, Little League Softball World Series uh, with ESPN this week, upcoming. She'll be getting to town in uh, a few days, and then we'll be uh, part of the broadcast team for the event, which uh, culminates with the championship game on ABC, which is really, really cool this year. The Women's College World Series at the NCAA level has just grown leaps and bounds. And that's really fun to see. I, I just, you know, I've said it, and I've been, I enjoy softball as much as anything I've, I'm involved in announcing. I just think it's a great sport, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. It's got a great pace to it. And, you know, the more I've been able to learn about the game, working with and watching uh, you, but also other people I've worked with who are really smart and really good, uh, you know, it, it it's just such a cool game. And... I enjoy the heck out of it, like I say. So I say all this to say uh, it seems like the sport, rightfully so, is, is growing by leaps and bounds as far as its interest in people getting out and watching it. You're right. It really is. The interest is on a trajectory that's exponentially growing. And more than anything, if you think the game is exciting and fun and fast-paced on TV, you need to get to a field and watch it yeah. because in person, it absolutely takes on a whole different life. The cool part about softball as compared to baseball is in baseball, your stands are pretty far removed from the field of play. You've got a pretty deep, deep backstop. The outfield fence is forever away. So if you sit in the outfield, it's a, it's a hard watch sometimes. But if you're, playing, if you're going to a softball game, the field is so small, the stands are on top of the field, it feels like. And so you can actually feel like you're in the action. You're a part of the game. You're cheering and your energy is 100% impacting the game going on in front of you. But then you're able to almost feel the pop of the glove as the catcher catches the ball. And we're seeing pitchers in the collegiate game that hit 75 and 76 miles an hour from 43 feet away. That's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, it, it is. Is anybody going to chase down Oklahoma or even Oklahoma State? 
Well, you're seeing the transfer portal and NIL impacting transfers now. So Jordy Ball, who was everybody's sweetheart at Oklahoma, the pitcher in the circle, has transferred to Nebraska. That yeah. changes their dynamic, you know. And you're seeing you're seeing top name players being recruited and taken from top level teams. So I think. The biggest part about Oklahoma is are they going to be able to keep their culture healthy, knowing that there's so many different things going on off the field that can impact that chemistry that happens between player to player and player to coach. So talent-wise, Oklahoma is still going to be very talented. It's going to come down to culture and chemistry, I think, for that team. Are they going to gel and work as one, which Patty Gasso is so good at getting them to do? Or are they going to have some infighting with players that are that would be stars at any other school having to sit the bench because mm-hmm. they're sitting behind some other phenomenal players? What is your opinion, Jenny, on uh, and, well, mainly the portal, but also NIL in that sport? Oh, I don't know that you wanted me to get started on that topic. I I struggle with it. I understand why, where NIL is valuable because when I was in school. I couldn't do lessons. I couldn't run camps. I couldn't have a brand of my own. Um, I couldn't, there was no such thing as social media, but I wouldn't be able to have a platform like that. What you're seeing with NIL though, people are confusing it with pay to play. Mm-hmm. So pay to play is illegal, but it's being used to draw players from schools to other schools or from recruits where coaches are saying or collectives are telling players, we'll give you X amount of dollars if you come to our school. Mm-hmm. That's illegal. NIL, I think, is wonderful. And it gives players an opportunity to make money, make money off of their name, image, and likeness. But pay-to-play is completely out of control right now, and that's what's impacting the portal more than anything. So what about the portal? Just, you know, stand alone. Well, and there's different reasons why people enter the portal. Right. I I think there's some really good reasons to enter a portal. If you don't get along with your coach, that's a good reason to enter the portal. If you're not getting the playing time that you maybe wanted or thought you deserve, maybe entering the portal is the right thing to do to find a better home to utilize your skills. But entering the portal because someone else has promised you this or that feels wrong, feels dirty, feels like a cheat. And usually... To be legal in the portal, you shouldn't have been tampered with before you entered the portal. And I'm I'm seeing a lot of tampering going on mm-hmm. to before players enter the portal. And to me, that is not the right execution of the portal. The portal should be used to be able to give players a healthy environment where they can contribute and play. And if they don't have that at their current school, that's where I feel the portal is valuable. Yeah. But when it yeah. Yeah, don't I just don't like the way it's being used with summer ball coaches or mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. tampering with players and having all the movement happen before they even enter the portal. I've taken up a lot of your time, but I, I you're just so good at speaking on this and, and do it with such an area uh, from an area of credibility. But I, I can I ask you just one more thing here because I know uh, you got to go. Um, yeah. Your, your t- you referenced your time with the Silver Bullets. You told me some, you've told me some stories about that. For people that don't know, that was all of the great softball players kind of barnstorming the country playing baseball. 
against like minor league teams and semi pro teams and things like that. I mean, literally, you were you were you were like a rock star. You were on the road. <laughs> we, we really were on the road. It was a four month commitment. Oh gosh, my contract lasted four months. One month of it was a spring training that was held at the Boston Red Sox facility down in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. And then we hit the road for three months and played from Alaska to Maine to California to Florida. We were on the road every second or third day. It was crazy. Um, and, and while you say it was a lot of the best softball players in the country, it actually had a stronger baseball background in the players gotcha. rather than softball. I was a unique um, element on that team. Now, many of us did play softball so we could go to school and get some scholarship money. But a lot of those players on that Silver Bullet team were actually baseball players through and through and knew the game way better than I did. I was learning something every day. It was like being fed through a fire hose, I feel like, on that team because there was so much to learn. The games are so different. Yes, they both swing back. Yes, they both play defense with a round ball. Yes, you're trying to, you know, pitch and catch. But there's so many different intricacies between the games where my mind was blown with how much thinking had to go into the game of baseball. Softball's fast-paced. It's a lot more reactionary. Baseball has a lot more strategy involved. The tough part about that, I guess, is the travel, and then there was some personal appeal because, if I'm not, wasn't it Coors that was the sponsor? That's why it was the Silver Bullets. So, I mean, that was probably the, the real downer parts of all that, I have to imagine. Well, for me, I don't drink and never have. Right. So I yeah. would all of these um, sponsored nights when we would be on the road, we would have to, you know, go to bars and everybody, I'll buy you a drink. I'm like, I'm great, thanks. And I had to find <laughs> people like, I'm not like not interested. I just, I don't drink. So what else would you like? Let's go play pool. Let's go. <laughs> A lot of those events got a little bit uncomfortable to the point that I think they were like, let's not send any anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was fun. Jenny Dalton-Hill, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give some numbers before you go here. 1996, uh, Arizona, 469 average, 25 home runs, 109 RBI. I mean, that's why, this is the, it's the Babe Ruth of college uh, softball. That's what it I said. And the thing that's weird, that year, I also led the country in walks. So I had to make the most of my at-bats because I was getting walked a lot that season. So Intentionally? It, um, some intentional, some unintentional, you know, but they were pitching around me. We had lost a ton of All-Americans. My senior season, we had – back then, you could only have five players per team on an All-American list, and we had – the year before, five first-team All-Americans. And so at the end of that season, we had two graduate, one make the Olympic roster, and one had some health issues and wasn't able to play the next year. So I was the only All-American left, and one of our coaches left. So we played with a chip on our shoulder a lot that mm -hmm. year. And so there, the bigger bats were gone out of the lineup. A lot of people step up, kind of unknown names, and they did great. We won a national championship, and it was unexpected as we sold it away from Washington that was the favorite that year. I just can't believe you didn't hit as many home runs as you did the year before, but that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> well, to 
Well, but let me put it in perspective, though, because the year before, yeah. I was hitting in front of the national home run leader. <laughs> and so when you're hitting in front of her, they throw to you a little bit better because they don't want to get to her. So I did hit more home runs the previous year than I did the next year because I I was protected by a really good hitter, but she wasn't as intimidating as yours before. Right. I got you. Uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, she'll be covering the Little League Softball World Series in Greenville all next week for ESPN. Thank you for uh, indulging my silly questions, and uh, it's always great to talk to you, and I hope we'll have the opportunity to maybe catch up with you next week uh, in uh, in Greenville. But uh, continued success, and uh, I, I love the work you do, and you're, uh, you're one of my favorite folks. Well, I always appreciate you. Let's uh, try to catch up again before next Little League World Series. Absolutely. Jenny, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks. See ya. I always listen. Check out the Adam Gold Show. Now, weekdays from 1 to 3 on 94.3 The Game. Download the app. See you around. The P-Man returns in minutes. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. All right, a little bit of overtime uh, here. Great to have Jenny Dalton-Hill on with us. Thanks to her. Thanks to Clark Willis. Uh, remember, tomorrow at 10 a.m. we'll be on uh, Facebook Live and our video platforms, Patrick Johnson Show, and uh, we'll be back here on the radio side at 5 o'clock tomorrow afternoon on 94.3, the game of the IBX media app. See you in the morning on Talk of the Town. I'll be in for Henry Hinton hosting. Philip Pilkington will have news and sports for you in our pirate report and then back here uh, tomorrow at five on the radio for talk of the town at 10 tomorrow the patrick johnson show in the morning on uh facebook twitter and youtube i guess it's x now all right have a great evening everybody